We've been talking um, about how to flow with the Holy Spirit. And um, we've seen, I, I think, some God do some amazing things over the last seven or eight weeks in terms of ministry, in terms of setting people free, in, in terms of seeing uh, bodies healed. And in a, in a way, it's a little bit... Um, overwhelming on a Monday and Tuesday when I get all these emails and Facebook messages coming in saying God's done this in my life or God's healed this or I was talking to this person and I prayed for them and they got healed. On Monday morning first thing I got rang up by somebody from the Norfolk show and while they were setting up their stall at the Norfolk show they got talking to somebody who was a Christian who felt like they're really giving up on church. Anyway, the conversation went that by five minutes later, they were praying for them in the middle of the Norfolk show. They got baptised in the Spirit, started speaking in tongues and asking what church they needed to go to in Norwich. <laughs> so it's exciting. It's exciting to see what God's doing. It's exciting to um, see him uh, just bringing us alive. And, and this morning... I've got a, another week left on this, this series, but this morning I wanted to talk about something that's really important, but isn't actually that easy to explain. And it's about how we know God's ways, how we keep our heart soft to God's ways. Because we can't flow with the Holy Spirit without knowing his ways. And... This is something it took me a long time to learn. So what, what you know, we, we have this phrase that we want to be both deep and wide. That, that is, we want to go and, and into the deep things of God, to the fullness of what he's got for us, but we want to do it in a way that everybody can understand. So this is another one of those mornings where what I'm going to say is quite deep, but I'm going to try and say it in a way that's understandable. And... Um, it took me a long time to learn this. And I remember um, probably the most significant point of this was maybe, I think it's about nine years ago, a small group of us went to Kansas City to the International House of Prayer. And while I was there, the, the thing that I went for is I asked God to show me his heart. So I, I did a two-day retreat in the prayer room. Uh, I emerged occasionally for, for a cup of coffee, but that was about it, two days in the prayer room. Uh, I don't know what the girls were doing. Were you shopping? Yeah, they were shopping. They went to the other high hop, the International House of Pancakes. <laughs> and um, while I was there, God really said, people can know a lot about me, but unless they know my ways they won't be able to enter into all I have for them. And, you know, we can have, know a lot about God, but we don't know how God does things. And by that, I don't mean a six steps to this. God isn't formulaic, that's the problem. God is a real person who has real emotions and, and real ways of doing things. And, and, and what he's asking us to do is to grow in love for him and grow in a way in which we follow his ways. And that's so important. And the only way we can flow with the Holy Spirit is to follow his ways. And, and so from then on, I tried to, um, where, whenever I went to a, a meeting or a conference or there was somebody ministering, I would be there and I would get as close to the front as I could and I would watch everything. I'd just, I just watch. Why, why are they, and, and then as they administered things, i go, why are they doing that? Why, why are they doing that? Um, you know, I'd, I'd watch Bill Johnson. I'd watch Randy Clark. I'd watch John Arnott. I'd watch Heidi Baker and go like, and try and understand how they were flowing with the Holy Spirit. What, what were they seeing? And... Uh, you know, so, some of those guys are incredibly helpful to the body of Christ in this, in that they, they talk a lot about how they see the Holy Spirit move. So I learned things from that. For instance, one of the things that I, I learned by watching Randy Clark and reading what he's written is how 
he responds to what the Holy Spirit's doing when he has a prayer line. So he, he calls people forward, he's going to pray for them. Now, he doesn't go down the line like that. Some people go down the line one at a time. He doesn't. What he does is he waits and he observes to see where the Holy Spirit is moving already on people. And then he seeks to partner with that. And, it, and, it's, and it's that sort of learning his ways that I'm talking about. It's, it's learning that understanding that, that our growth as Christians isn't just about information or memorizing scripture, although those things are, are good and important, but it, it's also that we receive by impartation, direct impartation of the Holy Spirit. That, that, that comes in response to laying on of hands or it comes in response to prayer. And, it, and it's learning these ways. Now, where I'm going this morning is that I was saying, well, okay, God, what, how, do you, how do we become a people who flow and understand your ways? And he, he started to talk to me, and he talked to me from one of my favorite passages. And uh, so if you want to follow this in the Bible, the words will be up on the screen, so don't panic. Uh, I'm going to start at Mark chapter 6, and then I'm going to look at a couple of other passages to help us understand what's going on. Because Jesus is going to say something really significant at the end of this passage. Now, if, you, if you've been around church for a while, you, you know this story. If you haven't, that's good, because I'm going to tell you the story. But basically, in Mark chapter 6, um, Jesus has just done... Well, he, he's got the disciples to participate in an absolutely incredible miracle. It's called the feeding of the 5,000. And basically, this little, little boy comes along. He's got some bread and fishes. Jesus blesses the bread and fishes. And he gives it to the disciples. And as the dis disciples are distributing the bread and the fish, it multiplies. And by the end of it, they gather up 12 baskets full of stuff from just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fishes. And um, this, what happens next, this, this immediately follows that miracle. There's no gap in between. And, and what happens next is at the end of all that meeting, Jesus says to them, okay, you guys get in the boat, go over to the other side of the lake, I'm off to pray. And he, he goes up the hill, goes to pray, and a storm comes up, and they're trying to get across the lake. They can't get across the lake, but they, they're really trying. They get about halfway across Storm's still blowing, and in the middle of the night, so hours and hours later, while they've been trying to get across the lake, Jesus goes to them walking on the water. And he walks to them, and he gets in the boat, and the storm gets calmed. And this, this is what comes at the end of that. Uh, Mark 6, uh, starting at verse 49. When they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him, and they were troubled. Well, you would, wouldn't you? How many people have you seen come walking towards you on a swimming pool, let alone a stormy sea? So they're going, oh, like, this, this can't be real. But it is. And immediately, he talked with them and said, be of good cheer, it's I, so don't be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marvelled. You would have marvelled if you'd been there, wouldn't you? Guy walks on the wall, calms the storm, gets in the boat, and it's Jesus. And he goes, last time I saw you, you were off up a hill, Jesus, praying. And now you can walk into me in the middle of a storm. Now, this is the significant bit, and, and this is the bit that's... Because I've talked about the other part of it quite a lot, and about Peter's response and how he gets out of the boat. But this is what I want you to see. Why are they amazed? Why do they marvel? Now, remember... They've just seen five loaves and two fishes feed 5,000 people with 12 baskets left over. Major, major miracle. And yet Jesus comes to them walking on the water and it says they were amazed, marveled, thought he was a ghost, and, and they're completely thrown by it. And, and it says this, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves because their heart was hard. So they, they, they weren't thinking supernaturally. Uh, that word considered not, that, what, what that actually means is they didn't think about it. They didn't ponder it. They're like, oh, that was great, Jesus. Oh, I've got all these baskets of bread. What do we do with the baskets of bread? And moved on with their life. And so often, 
you know, when God is doing amazing things, we just file them away, that's an interesting Facebook, and we move on. And it, and it doesn't impact our life. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the power of the testimony and keeping the testimony. So this is really following on from that. And, and we don't treasure those things and go, so what was it about? What is it in there that is meant to change me? What is it in there that is something that will help me understand God's ways? And another way of looking at that word considered not or translated considered not is this. It's like every Christmas I do a jigsaw puzzle. Sad but true. You know, the little snowy scenes and the girls skating in the ice with the little white things around the bottom of the lovely red coats and the holly and, and all that chestnuts roasting on an open fire. So I do these jigsaws because that's what I do at Christmas. And... Um, one of the things you do is you, you've got all these pieces. And so when it says considered not, it's like getting all the bits of the jigsaw puzzle, sorting all the pieces, and then putting them together. That's, that's what it's talking about. It, in other words, to, to see God's ways and, and to understand his ways, we have to go through a process of piecing it together from what we see and what we observe. Uh, another way of that that word can be translated, is laying it to heart in that you, you, you let it affect your heart. You let what you've seen affect your heart and, and, you let, and you process it inside. Now, because they didn't do that, because um, they didn't remember and think about what had happened with the loaves and the fishes, what we find out is that they, uh, they didn't, that, that hadn't changed them at all. So they've seen this incredible miracle, but they're still shocked when another miracle happens. And Jesus is making this incredible comment. He's basically saying, guys, if you were shocked by the supernatural, you are operating in the wrong realm. Because the supernatural should be natural to a Christian. Supernatural should be natural to a believer. And unfortunately, the way we go about church often, we, we operate entirely in the natural. And therefore, the natural is natural to a believer instead of supernatural being natural to a believer. And, and that's getting confusing. I wish I hadn't started down that tongue-twisting route. But you get the point, don't you? So the supernatural is meant to be our normal. Supernatural is the new normal. And this is what God's trying to communicate to the church in the UK right at the moment, that the supernatural is the normal. Yeah. And he's trying to break this journey that, that the church as a whole has been on of taking God out of it and trying to do it all in our strength. Because God has so much more for us than we're seeing right now. There's so many people who need to be healed, so many people who need to be set free, so many people who, who need hope in their lives and freedom in their life and deliverance in their life and, and just, uh, just God, God's blessing in their life. And, and because we're operating entirely in the natural, we're not receiving that. You know, when, when we gave our lives to Christ, we gave our lives to a supernatural God, not somebody who is limited by what we do. You know, we've got all sorts of things we can do ourselves, but, but God can do so much for. In the hopelessness of our circumstances, he's our hope because he can change our circumstances. Yeah. In, in, in the, us reaching out to others and, and loving others, he can do so, so much more because he can change their natural circumstance by his supernatural spirit. Are you with me so far? Okay, so Jesus is saying you shouldn't be shocked by the supernatural. Church, we shouldn't be surprised by the supernatural, but equally, we shouldn't just file it away and forget it. We, we're meant to think about it, consider it, ponder it. Now, if we don't do that, Jesus says, your heart, get hard, your heart gets hardened. And that, that's, that's the biggest problem we have as believers. Our hearts get hard. Now, we can go, well, my heart's not hard. Well, just bear with me a moment, because what I'm going to explain is he's not talking about you turning your back on God. He's talking about you being more sensitive to the natural than the supernatural. 
And we want to flow in the supernatural because that's what the Holy Spirit's power was given to us for. And so when we, when we go on a little bit later, because basically the way you look at Scripture is you allow Scripture to talk to itself. You, you allow it to interpret itself. That's one of the things you learn at Bible school. If you don't know what a hard heart is, you'll allow Scripture to tell you what a hard heart is. Because otherwise we jump to this thing and go, oh, the disciples were backslidden. No, they're not backslidden. They're just struggling because they're stuck in the natural. So when we get to uh, the book of Hebrews, we find that it talks a lot about what it means to have a hard heart. So Hebrews chapter 3 says this. Uh, verse 10 says, therefore, this is, this is a quote from the Old Testament, therefore I was angry with that generation. The generation he's talking about is those who didn't manage to get in the promised land. If you remember, God was leading them to a land of promise and a land of abundance, and they sent out some spies, they looked at the land, and they're going, there's giants in that land, we can't do it. Well, they were never meant to do it. And God is making a comment here on why they didn't think they could do it. And he says this, I was angry with that generation, said they always go astray in their heart, their heart goes wrong, because they don't know my ways. You see, you can know God's rules or God's uh, information or you can know all the stories, but if we don't know his ways, we go astray in our hearts. And verse 19 makes that, that further comment. It says, and, and the result of this is they couldn't enter into everything that he had for them because of unbelief. And so what he's talking about here is, when it says know his ways, that means to, to discern his ways, to experience his ways, to, to sort of participate with what he's doing. And, and when it means ways, it's not something ubi-ubi, mystical-y stuff. It means they don't know the paths that I go down. They don't know the route I take to get to where we're going. They, they, because they don't know how to follow me in their hearts, they can't go down the road of the supernatural provision I have for them. And they look in the natural and say, we can't do this. And so often we find ourselves saying, I can't do this. This is just, you know, my, my life's a mess or this big problem that's just arisen, I can't break through it. Because we limit ourselves to this natural road. And God's trying to move us and he's saying, I want you to know my ways and my ways are following me down a supernatural road, a supernatural path. And because they, they didn't uh, know his ways, it says they couldn't enter his rest and it, because it produced unbelief in them. So their, their hardness of heart, their, their insensitivity... Because when we talk about a hard heart, what we're talking about there, the, the word hard, it's sort of sometimes translated calloused like, or insensitive to touch. You know, like when you've been uh, working, you know, you see workmen and, and they've got all these like builders and things and the, the, the skin on the hands is like 20 foot deep, you know, <laughs> and it's all rough and, and, that, and it's, it's that idea, but that that hardness around your heart. And, and it's saying, when, when you're in that position, your heart isn't open or yielded to God's ways. It's just limited to by what you can do and what you can achieve. And we need to achieve more than we can achieve because we have limits and he doesn't. So, let's go back to to, that, to the passage in Mark. But let's go on a little bit. And Jesus is going to explain this a little bit more. In Mark chapter 8, he says this. And, 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 he, and he brings, basically, the disciples have real problems about bread. Everywhere they go, you think they'd learn, wouldn't you? But they don't. Everywhere they go, they forget to take food. And you go like, guys, this is, this is like basic stuff. And I'm thinking... They forget to, and I'm thinking like, you know, we're okay because we've got buns and sausages and if 5,000 people turn up at our house this afternoon, that's okay. You can dish it out and you can collect the baskets, okay. But they have problems with food. So they, we're going on a couple of chapters and they still haven't got it. 
You know, we, we've gone on a few months now, and they still have not got it. So that gives hope to everybody, doesn't it? Because if they can't get it, and there's 12 of them, and they're following Jesus 24-7, then it gives us a bit of hope that actually, you know, we can learn too. So the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they didn't have more than one loaf with them, and they're in a boat again. And he said to them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. I'm going to come back to that. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, he's saying this because we've got no bread. <laughs> okay. Now, you've got to admire them, haven't you? They, they've taken the leap now. They, they've moved on one step, which is when Jesus, Jesus talks a lot about bread, he must have something to do with bread. That's better than the answer we give in church, because the answer we give in church to everything is Jesus, isn't it? They, they've like made that leap that it's Jesus and he works something about bread. But they're lagging behind Jesus, what he's trying to show them. Because what, what, what happens with God and what happens with the, the Holy Spirit in us and was happening with the disciples, he, Jesus is trying to show us the ways of the kingdom so that we can see and experience the kingdom and the kingdom can manifest through us. So he's trying to get them to do that. And, and they're always like one leap behind him. So they're going, oh, it's about bread. Well, it's not about bread. And, and basically, they've got themselves down that wrong path because of what? Because it's their reasoning and their understanding. They're back in that natural place again. And when we go on to the next few verses, we see that a bit more. So verse 17. So it's a bit small. Jesus, being aware of what they were thinking, said to them, Why do you reason? Because you've got no bread. Don't you perceive, don't you yet understand? Is your heart still hardened? There's that word again. Having eyes, don't you see? Having ears, don't you hear? And don't you remember? Remember we talked about that word a lot when we talked about the power of the testimony. When I brought the five loaves, so he's reminding what he's done, the 5,000, how many baskets and fragments he take up? Twelve. Now, what we find out here is he's done it a few times. When I brought the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many large baskets and fragments did he take up? Seven, they said. So he said to them, so how do you not understand, guys? Come on, how do you not understand? How, how are you not getting this? You know, let me help, give me some help here. What, what's the problem? Why don't you understand? Now, I want you to see some things from this, that a hard heart isn't rebellion against God. They're not in rebellion against God. They're just not understanding. Okay? So what Jesus is saying is that a hard heart is about relating much more to the natural than the supernatural. It's running our lives on the basis like our salvation had never happened. It's looking for ourselves to provide. It's looking for ourselves to, to obtain the things that we need. And Jesus is saying... When you're in that state, when you think like that, your heart's hard. And, and so I'm limited by what I can do in you. And that's why it's so important that our hearts are softened so that God can do more in us and through us. And so how does that happen? Now, what we need to also understand from this is that that process of a hardening of a heart is actually a normal process in a believer. Now, what I mean by that is that God has wired things in us that allows our heart to be hardened. But our heart is meant to be hardened against the things of the enemy and the ways of the world and softened towards God. But Jesus is saying, when you don't know my ways, that gets all out kilter and you end up being insensitive to what I'm trying to do. So I've, I've wired you so you can block out the enemy and have victory, but when you don't understand my ways, you end up being insensitive to me because the thing that was meant for good turns and becomes a problem for you. Are you with me? So it's, it's a normal process. We are meant to harden our hearts, but against the enemy, against the things that says we're limited to the natural, against the things that says church is about coming on a Sunday morning and forgetting about God for the rest of the week. We're meant to be hard against that. We're meant to be soft to God and living our lives sold out on fire for him. Are you, are you getting this? We are meant to be on fire for God 24-7. 
Not just when we're here on a Sunday morning. But we've got thinking so naturally that by 9 o'clock on Monday morning, we're bogged down and back in a life that has no reference to the supernatural power of God or the kingdom coming in our workplace, in our city, in our region. Nothing. And, 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 and something happens in our life. It knocks us and we go, oh, and we're all over the place because we haven't learnt this, that we're meant to be soft to God and hard to the enemy. And so that produces symptoms. And, and we... Go back. The symptoms are all in that passage. So we're unable to perceive. We're unable to put those pieces together that we're meant to put together to see the big picture of what God's doing and what he's got for us. We, we, and even when we can put those pieces together, we, we can't understand how it works. So you can, it's like... Jesus is saying, you can't, you can't put the, this picture together. You can't collect all the pieces because you're not looking for them and you're not trying to put them together. And even then, when you try and put them together, you can't understand the outcome and use it. You don't understand. And he says, why, why is that? And, and he says, it's because you're not hearing and you're not seeing what I'm doing. You see, the, the miracles that God's been doing in our midst and, and, and when he turns up like he did last week in his presence... And, and when, when he's there, we're meant to be seeing and hearing and understanding what he's doing. And, and Jesus is saying, if you don't, if, if that isn't precious, then you're going to find yourself in a place where you can't perceive and you can't understand and it, you can't get it to work in your life. And, and then he says, lastly, don't you remember? Now, remember, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the power of the testimony and why we do testimonies. Because the testimony has the potential to release the anointing that reproduces itself. It changes the atmosphere spiritually as we speak it out. And, and we can take a hold of that and see repeats the testimony. So I, talk about, um, I talked about the, 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 the number of times we'd seen backs healed. And then we prayed for people with back problems and we saw some amazing healings. Because the testimony reproduces itself. It carries the seed of reproduction. Now... I got a question for this, and, and I, I thought it was a really good question. Like, where did you get that from, about the word for remember being the same word as male seed? And, and so that's, that's a good question, because I'd taken several people's word for it that that was right. Um, so I, I went and looked at it, and I, I found several references to it. So if, if you, if you want to go and look at it, you can look it up in Parkhouse's Hebrew Lexicon of Old Testament words, and there's several lexicons. And basically, the idea of remembering is it carries a seed within it that reproduces what was originally there. Okay. Now, so what we're going to do, so what determines the hardness or softness of our heart? Because we want to be soft to God, don't we? And hard to the enemy. We want to be soft to the supernatural and hard to thinking we're limited to the natural. And so we need to understand what makes us hard in the right direction and soft in the right direction. Because we want soft hearts, but strong authority over the enemy. And so it's really easy to see from these passages how you have a soft heart and how you get to flow in the ways of the kingdom. Because Jesus is consistently saying this. He's saying that what you consider, your heart becomes softened to. What you think about, what you dwell on, what fills your time, uh, what get, you know, where, where, where your focus is, um, what, what you're looking for. You, know, you can go to the most incredible meeting with the most gifted speaker, the most anointed person. Uh, you, can, you can sit in that meeting and you can go away not any the better for it because you haven't been looking in the right place. You haven't been considering what, what, what's, what's happening. And you haven't been going, I want that for myself. I don't just want that for that person who's up on that stage. I want that for myself. You know... God works differently in different cultures, but his principles are still the same. 
So I want to see in the UK what Heidi Baker has seen in Mozambique. I want to see in the UK what Randy Clark has seen in Brazil. I want to see in the UK what Ed Silvozo has seen in Argentina. Now, they're all different countries and different places, but it's the same God, and he's still capable of doing the same things. So I want to see that, and the only way I can see that is to get a hold of the supernatural, because, quite frankly, for 2,000 years, we've tried the natural, and it hasn't worked in this land. So it needs to be the supernatural. We need to be the supernatural people of God. We need, to, we need to understand that we're in a spiritual battle, not an intellectual battle. We're in, we're in a, a, a weight of power battle, not a weight of finances battle. That we're not about attracting people to the kingdom. We're about demonstrating the kingdom so they force their way in. That's what the Bible says. The demonstration of the kingdom leads people to be so hungry for it, they force their way in. If we, if we are hungry for the supernatural, we know God's ways and we demonstrate the supernatural, people will force their way into the kingdom. We won't have to go spending tens and tens and hundreds of thousands of pounds trying to look good so they'll come to our meeting. They'll come to our meeting because they get healed. They'll come to Rock Solid because they get set free and their lives get changed. They'll come because we are full of God and people see the difference. And... It, it's, so, um, it's so frustrating when I see and talk to Christians and, guys, you'd think that the world had collapsed and God had given up on life and, quite frankly, they're boring. How many of you know boring Christians? <laughs> Do not be that person. You have the power of the universe, the spirit of Christ living in you. And, and why, what we need to ask is, what is it about our hearts that stops us mobilizing so that other people see that in us? What, what's gone wrong inside that I'm more bothered about what people think of me than I am about what Jesus thinks of me? What's gone wrong inside? And, and Jesus is saying, well, what you consider, your heart gets soft to. So if, you're, if, if your life is filled with stuff that isn't Jesus, you get hard to Jesus and soft to the other stuff. Therefore, you end up being compromised and looking like the other stuff. The biggest tragedy in the UK today is that Christians look exactly like non-Christians. I actually don't think that's true. That's what a lot of people say. I actually think that a lot of Christians look worse than non-Christians because we're judgmental to go with it. Yeah. And, and we need to be soft to God. And what we harden ourselves to, what we cut out, we become hard to. Another word for um, consider is focus. What you focus on, what, what you give your time to. And... If we, what Jesus is saying is if you fail to focus on the right things, it hardens your heart, and that produces insensitivity, which leads to unbelief. Now hear that, because that's the process he's talking about. When you focus on the wrong things, when you focus on stuff that isn't God, they don't, that doesn't have to be sin, it can just be stuff that's just normal, natural things. It can be just whatever fills your life instead of Jesus. And he's saying when you focus on other stuff, it hardens your heart and that makes you more insensitive to God and the end result of that is unbelief. And when we're in belief, we don't get the things that we're promised as part of the kingdom. So we, we handicap ourselves. Because we can then only do things in the natural and we end up having to live that way. And Jesus said the antidote to that is to soften your heart so you become sensitive to the things of the kingdom and sensitive to the supernatural and it produces faith and you see the kingdom manifest. And he's saying what it's down to is what you focus on. Yeah? Okay. Let me, let me just address something. Um, I just need a drink. We have a second issue, and, it, and it's one that we can get all confused about on. 
you, and I, I admittedly, I'm going to pacey it this morning. Okay? So don't, don't think this is the fullness of the explanation. I'm just talking about it in context. But when uh, Bob talked and when Linda talked, they, talked they, they said they got this revelation of grace. And that is probably the, the, the biggest revelation you can get in your life to set you free. Unfortunately, some people get a bit extreme on that and they go, so it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter that there's sin in my life. It doesn't matter that, that I'm just carrying on living like I always did. No, grace is meant to set you free. From You don't have to live like that because that was destructive. You don't have to have that hard heart. You, you don't have to live in that. And so some people go, well, so sin doesn't matter. And, you know, it, it comes and goes. It, it sort of, it's one of those things that comes cyclically into the church. And you'll get a whole bunch of people and, and, and they'll say, so we live under grace, so it doesn't matter what we do. Well, unfortunately... Somebody put that question to the Apostle Paul and he said, don't be stupid, of course it matters what you do. Why does it matter? Because sin hardens your heart. Sin hardens your heart against God, but it also hardens you to the things of the supernatural. And, and that's really obvious if you think about it. Sin is destructive. You know, quite apart from the fact you've been set free from it, so why would you want it back when you can live without it and, and, and not have all that stuff messing your life up but why why would you you want to do that because basically what you're saying is god there's areas of my life you ain't getting to and to the extent we do that that's the extent we're saying we've we, we've be, we've been sensitive to stuff that's not god and jesus says that's going to produce something really difficult for you in your life because it's going to make your heart insensitive to me and therefore you you're not going to be able to operate in faith and you be your back being limited to you and you can't cut it you can't do it so so avoid sin because i've given you the ability to do it and it hardens your heart against me so why would you want to be there because that's your problem that that's why you're not seeing uh, the fullness of that joy and life and freedom manifest. Now, that, that's not law. That's just a corollary of grace. That Jesus, we've been given new hearts with a new spirit when we became a Christian. And Jesus is saying, so use it. Don't, don't operate. Don't live your life like it never happened. Guys, we need to be set free from... from the church being full of Christians who live their lives like it, their salvation never happened. How does Jesus talk about that? Let's go back to that thing that I said at the start. So I'm, I'm nearly finished now. Well, not, not quite nearly finished. Because <coughs> I saw Roger look at me the minute I said he's nearly finished. He's gone, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so... Uh, go back to verse 14 to 16. Jesus says these two things. He says, uh, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Okay, so what's that mean? If, if Jesus says it's strong, because he's talking about this issue of our hard hearts and why we can't see what he's doing and why we can't see the supernatural. And he says it's down to two things, the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, does Jesus talk in code? Now, most people read that and go, yes, Jesus talks in code. No, he doesn't. The reason we think, oh, well, I have no idea what he's wittering on about there. Because that's most of us, isn't it? We have no idea what he's wittering on about. What is he doing? Living the Pharisee, living the Even the disciples are going, we've no idea what he's written on about. He's on about bread again. Yeah? So we're in good company for thinking like that. But it's actually not the way to think. Because the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, the Bible tells us exactly what it means. So we don't have to be puzzled. So on the leaven of the Pharisees, uh, Luke 12 verse 1 says... The leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. So Jesus is saying, beware guys, in case you find out you're a hypocrite. You can be a hypocrite without actually planning on being one. 
what, what, what's, what's it like? What's, what's a hypocrite? A hypocrite is somebody that says, guys, I'm a, I'm, right now, I'm a spirit-filled, grace-filled Christian. And, and I believe in the power of the kingdom. I believe God heals. I believe God delivers. I believe God sets people free. But they don't do it in their own life. It's a platitude. You know, churches up and down the land talk about how God heals, but they've never seen anybody healed, and they don't encourage anybody to pray for healing. They say, they go open the service with welcome Holy Spirit, but they've got no intention of him turning up because they got him to exit the building 10 years ago because he was upsetting people. And you know, God doesn't upset people. God sets people free. He knows what he's doing. He's bigger than us. And... So when we, get, we come there, we, what we want to avoid is saying one thing and being another. Because Jesus is saying that hardens your heart. And you won't, therefore, be able to see the supernatural. You won't know my ways. You'll be operating in unbelief. Um, Jesus is, you might think sometimes I'm a bit direct. Who thinks that sometimes I'm a bit direct? Yeah, okay, okay. All I can say in my defense is this. I am nowhere near as direct as Paul. And, I, and Paul was nowhere near as direct as Jesus. You know, truth wrapped in grace changes lives. But truth without grace is judgment. And that's what we need to discern. Because Jesus is trying to change lives. And the way he's trying to change lives is he's trying to show us where we go astray and harden ourselves against God. You see, the way leaven works is this. I, I think this is fascinating. I, so, you know, you see, this is the things that occupy me in the morning. You know, when I'm, when I'm doing my Bible study, this is the things that occupy me. I'm going like, so how does leaven work? You know, so I go on the internet and I'm searching. And, and it's really simple how leaven works, but it's really profound to what Jesus is saying. When you put leaven into something, it reacts and produces gas. Depending on what you put in, different types of gases, different sizes of bubbles, air bubbles and the rest of it. And when you put it into bread, uh, you've got these other things involved like starch and water. And starch and water, usually because they've got uh, gluten in or some form of gum, when you put that those together with they they glutenize and form a, what's a matrix. They, they all, it's all sticky. And the the point the point is that when you start baking it, the leaven inside creates all these gas bubbles. And that matrix sets and forms around the gas bubbles. In other words, they they hold that structure, they shape the structure. And so, depending on what you've used for leaven and the mixes you use, you can get hard bread, crusty bread, soft bread, dry bread, all the different types of bread that we have. But the point is that the leaven is what it's shaped around. The, it, the, the texture and what, what you get is much more to do with the holes in the middle and what they are and the size of them than it is to do with the basic ingredients of starch and water. And... And so the softness is determined by the leaven. So Jesus is saying your softness is determined by the leaven that you're taking in and is reacting with your heart. And, and you, you are creating a life that is structured around what you're taking in. Another way of thinking about it is the hot air you're listening to can actually, can actually produce hot air in you. Yeah? And Jesus is saying, don't have the hot air that the Pharisees have of all that hypocrisy. Have the, 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 the wind and the breath of the Spirit in you instead. Yeah. And so, you know, on verse 23, Matthew 23, this is where Jesus is direct. This is what he says is the leaven of the Pharisees. What are you scribes and Pharisees? Hypocrites. All right, we've got that one. They're hypocrites. For you pay tithe... And, but you neglect the big things of the law. Remember what we talked about is that the big thing in the law is to love. To love God and to love others. That's the big thing. 
But they got focused on all the little things. And you know, you can encounter people like that, and, and they, they can be really destructive. They're people who demand that you give them grace, but they judge you on every little thing you do wrong. And, and he's saying, guys, beware that person. Don't have anything to do with that sort of person, because it'll shape you, because you're taking in that hot air, that, that leaven. And he says, these you ought to have done. So, yeah, he's saying you do the other things, but you don't leave the others, the bigger things, undone. And he, he describes these things. So this is, this is more direct than me. He goes, they're, they're blind guys who basically worry and poo out a gnat, but end up swallowing a camel. Okay, so if I said that, which I just did in church, it's, it's a bit shocking, isn't it? But he's saying, like, they've got constipated over trying to get a gnat out the bottom when actually they've got a camel coming in through the mouth. Does this put Pharisees in a whole new light for you? Yeah? This is Jesus. I like Jesus. He's, he doesn't mess about, does he? He says, what are you scribes and Pharisees? He's upset with it. Hypocrites again. You wash the outside of a cup of dish. You go through all the formalities. You say all the right things. You do all the right things. You've got everything nailed down in order, precisely to the minute, but inside you're full of extortion and self-indulgence. God, save us from self-centered Christianity. Save us from self-centered Christianity. Let's carry on, because he's got more to say. <coughs> Blind Pharisee. Cleanse the inside of the cup and dish so the outside can be clean also. In other words, show on the outside, to show on the outside what is the kingdom, you've got to clean the inside up. Water your scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites again. You are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly. We, when I was a kid, we used to have an outside toilet we, in, in a yard that we shared with four other houses. And in order to keep it... Um, What's the word? Health and safety. So to keep it clean, you used this thing called lime and you whitewashed it because it was the only way you could stop all the mould and all the rest and all the gunk and the flies. So you whitewashed it. And, and Jesus is saying, basically, guys, you're like that sort of person who cleans the outside loo or the grave and, uh, but it, and so it looks good on the outside but inside it stinks and the flies are still there. See, I told you he was direct, didn't I? You outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What's lawlessness? It's you keep on doing stuff, and you've got no heart of love towards other people, but you demand it from them. And Jesus, he said, beware that, because that will shape you when you hang around with people like that, and beware that in your own life. And then he says, what's the leaven of Herod? Well, he describes Herod, and I'm... I'm a bit short of time, so I'm not going to go into it. But basically, the leaven of Herod is politics and jostling for position. The leaven of Herod, so if you translated that into today's terms in the body of Christ, it's the desire for a platform. It's the desire to use the natural ways of the world, networking, getting to know the right people, in order to get yourself in the right position to occupy the place that will allow your ministry to be recognised. That's the leaven of Herod. It's using natural means to try and see the results of the kingdom. And Jesus says it doesn't work. That's like politics. It's like, you know, all this, this stuff that we see going on in the Labour Party and the Conservative Party at the moment and in Europe. Everybody's jostling position to get in the right place. And Jesus is saying, guys, that's not my kingdom. I resist the proud and give grace to the humble. I raise up. I pull down. That's not my kingdom. I give the places. And, and, and Jesus, you know, he says, you are going to be shocked by who you see in heaven and who isn't there. Because I know what's inside and you only see what's outside. And so we, we want to be soft. And, and we don't want to try and build the kingdom on that sort of thing. So if we want to flow with the spirit, we've got to examine our hearts and say, guys, where are we? Like, am I 
On a Monday morning, am I the same person I am on a Sunday morning? Do I have the same... Am I going to have the same priorities on Tuesday night? Well, I'll go for Wednesday night because Tuesday night's house group, so we're slightly holy then. (laughs) On Wednesday night, am I going to have the same priorities as I've got sitting here right now listening to Mark? Because if I've not, I, I, I want to know... And I want you to show me, God, how to soften my heart. Because I want to see the supernatural and not be limited to the natural. Because I can't sort me and you can. So we do that. We do that by remembering and and looking and seeing what God is doing. And then then we meditate on it and we we mull it over and we go, God, God, you're straightening spines right this moment. You You are... you are opening ears that can't hear. You are um, saving people. I haven't, I haven't put this one out here, so I won't do that one. But so many things. You are, you are fusing together again, severed fingers. You know, you, you were doing this. What, what are you showing me, God? What, let, change me when I think of that. Change me, because I want to see more of that, because that, that, that shows me and, and it helps me demonstrate your love to this world so i want to see more of it and so we soften our hearts by considering the things of the kingdom and we harden our hearts to the enemy by not considering his natural ways his manipulative ways his self-centered ways his platform seeking ways we just do the business humbly in the power of god and he gets the glory instead of us. See, that's, that's a bit of the sting in the tail with this. God gets the glory. As long as we want the glory, it won't work. Well, it will, in a funny way, because we can get human-given glory, but that's not the glory I want. I want the glory of the kingdom. I want the glory that exists in heaven. I want the glory manifest here. And it's not about me, it's about him. And he gets the glory. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.